Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format helps you learn at your own pace and fit earning a degree into your life. From before you enroll to after you graduate, you'll be supported by people who are invested in your success so you can pursue your goals knowing that help is available if you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. Today on the James Altucher Show. I'll be honest. I want to talk to people who solve real problems, who deal with real issues, who I can really discuss things that are important to my life and maybe to other people. And that's why I love it when I have my friends on who have had great accomplishments. This guest today, he's got a super successful podcast. I've known him for seven years and we always talk to each other and say, you know, this should be a podcast because we're we're talking about the matters and issues that are really important to us and that we're actually dealing with in our business lives and our podcasts and our personal lives. So today, Jordan Harbinger and I talk about what it means to be authentic, what it means to be yourself in a way that's more important than just the pursuit of money or some superficial goal, and how that ultimately is a key driving force to success. So without further ado, here is my great conversation with my good friend, Jordan Harbinger. So once again, so happy to have my good friend Jordan Harbinger on the podcast. He's the host of the Jordan Harbinger Show. And last time we spoke about his amazing six-minute networking techniques, among other things. Jordan, how's it going? Hey, good. Thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it. It's uh, it's fun to sort of start the day with something like this. Yeah, no problem. I always like, I feel like we've now, and we've talked about this before, but I've known you for six years but the main way we catch up is by going on each other's podcast. So that's always yeah. a always a pleasure. Yeah, yeah, um, it's funny. It's and you know, um, just just so you know, because I, I asked you in the last podcast when we talked about six minute networking, I asked you if um, if I could write about it. So I now have a chapter in my next book that I just turned in called Six Minute Networking. But I completely say it's a course by Jordan Harbinger. So that's for great. The full details. Get this course from Jordan Harbinger. But that's that's awesome. It's one of my chapters now because I I do think. Particularly right, I mean, you could always say anytime. And I think most of, even though I think I'm a bad networker, I would say a good percentage of any success I've ever had in life has been my networking. And, you know, stuff like that's important. It's, it's good to have an idea. It's good to be, even be able to execute on that idea. But you have to be able to call people and say, hey, um, I have this great product. Can you help me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, networking is important. 
Yeah, it, it, it's the only thing that's... I, I know a lot of people that are going through hard times right now. I think we all do. And it's been interesting for me to see in my inbox, people are saying things like, hey, you know, uh, I didn't really listen to you when you said that you got to dig the well before you get thirsty and I just got laid off. What do I do? And I, I, I take no pleasure in this, but it was interesting for all these people who are like, look, I already do all this six minute net networking stuff naturally. I don't need to do this or I'm really busy. Like all the excuses you hear for people not to do important things. And then it was just like, oh, what do I do now? And I'm like, you start 10 years ago, you know, or yeah. you start, you start any other time than right now, but the second best time is right now. So there's unfortunately a lot of people that have found out the hard way that you really cannot ignore this stuff at all because well you ignore it at your own peril because you you find when you are laid off or your business goes under or worse that you maybe didn't have all these relationships and i started i started to get this objection that i do this i do this stuff naturally i do this stuff naturally because everyone wants to think of themselves in a positive light. It's like when you ask if people work out and they go, yeah, I work out regularly. Yeah, pretty regularly. And then if you really like look in their calendar, you find out they work out like once every two weeks or less. And you're like, oh, yeah. okay. So with networking, I, I noticed that uh, when I started taking proper survey data, I noticed that a lot of the people who quote unquote do networking naturally, I'm like, well, how often do you actually make, you know, double opt-in introductions or introductions at all? And it's like, oh, well, let me think. The last time I did one was, and it's like a month ago, two months ago, three months ago. What, when's the last time you followed up with them? Oh, uh, I ran into somebody randomly a year ago who I introduced to someone else. So, but when you're talking about doing it every day or several times a week, you start to see like, oh, okay. It's the difference between going to the gym once every month and going to the gym three times a week. The results are obviously totally different. Right. And people, unfortunately, are not getting that until they really hit the wall. And I've noticed that with it's the same thing with fitness. You can start going to the, well, now I'm really going to go to the gym because I just had a heart attack. You know, it's like, well, okay. I mean, that could have been avoided theoretically, potentially. You know, it's funny. It brings up three different things. One is the digging the well before you're thirsty is very important. And it's not just about networking. So I get the same thing. People might say to me, hey, the stock market just crashed 20%. What stock should I buy? Mm -hmm. And that's really not the right question because you could give someone a stock, you can give someone the best stock at the absolute best time and they could, 90% of the time, they'll still lose money on it because mm -hmm. there's a lot of other factors of investing. But even before that, I write about this in, in my book, Choose Yourself. Like I've gone broke so many times and it wasn't that I necessarily had a bad ideas for a business. It wasn't even necessarily that I executed poorly. It's that I wasn't exercising. It was mm -hmm. that I wasn't having good relationships with my wife or family or friends. It was that I wasn't exercising the creativity muscle, which will atrophy if you don't exercise it. And I wasn't, I'll call this the, the spiritual muscle, the ability to recognize which things I can control and which things I can't and not focusing on the things that I can't control. Being good at those things is, a, is more of a skill than people think. You can't just say, oh, I'm creative. I'll come up with ideas when I need them. Mm -hmm. No, you won't. You won't be creative unless you're creative every day and exercising that. And exactly. if, you're, if you're arguing with your wife every day and not doing something about it, how are you going to have a good business if the other two hours of the day you're, you're arguing with wife or partners or friends? Like, you know, we all know this. Like if you have a bad relationship, even whether it's romantic or, or a business, you can't run a business. Like you have to have all these parts of your life it's like your blood has to be flowing, you know, smoothly through your body or you're going to have a heart attack. 
it yeah, it's it's true, and people don't really understand that the the benefits from a lot of this stuff. And plenty of people do understand this, and just sort of like bury their head in the sand or haven't thought about it. So I'm not trying to say anybody's like an, a knucklehead for not figuring this out. But it's always about consistency. Like no matter how hard you work out one time, like if you run the New York Marathon or the Boston Marathon every year, and you're one of those people, I've, I guess you probably couldn't qualify for that. But let's say that you did. Uh, just because you're naturally fit, you're probably not going to win. You're going to be one of those people who's like, at the end, there's that car driving behind you that's like, look, you have to stop. We're taking the road barricades down. You know, that that's where you end up. And you can work out really hard once a year, but you're not really getting any better at anything. But if you're working your creativity or your network or your business skills or your relationship skills every week, now you're starting to build something one brick at a time. So there isn't this like, oh, when I need it, I'm going to start to rush forward. And the special forces, uh, who, by the way, also are doing some of the six-minute networking stuff a little bit. It's tailored, but a lot of Green Berets, military and intelligence people are doing this. What They, they have a motto that says, it's, and I might butcher this, but it's something like you don't rise to the level of your expectations, but you default to the level of your training. So a lot of people... I've noticed it, like guys, for example, will think, oh yeah, if I ever get in a fight, you know, I'm going to call on my like Taekwondo skills. They're around in my brain somewhere. And you know, I've got like, I've been taking Krav Maga. I haven't gone for like three or four months, but like, I remember some of that. You're not doing any of that stuff. You're yeah. going to panic and run be or if you're lucky, because you default to the level of your training. Like you're going to be 30%, 50% less good at whatever you're really good at on a day-to-day -day basis when you're under stress, when it comes down to the wire. So if you think like, oh, I'm magically going to figure out networking when I get laid off. It's like, well, no, you're going to desperately start texting people you went to high school with and being like, hey, what's going on? It's been a long time. Do you know anyone who's hiring? And you're going to know that that's not the right thing to do, but you're going to have no real other options. You're going to be in a desperate mode of operations when you do it. And it doesn't really matter like what kind of cool tricks and tactics you think you have. If you haven't built a foundation, it's just not going to matter. Like you said, with investing, those people who go, I'm saving 50K for when I see a dip in the market. It's like, well, that's good. And you might end up getting lucky with the dip, but you're not going to get wealthy using the stock market over the long term by waiting for what looks like magical market timing and then throwing money in randomly and then getting, you literally would have to get lucky so many times that if you're right. just waiting for the time, each of those times, you're not rolling the dice enough to actually maximize your probability of getting lucky. So you just won't. Right. Like, it's sort of like, uh, gosh, you keep opening up a whole can of, can of worms in different directions. Mm -hmm. But I, I call, I call that, uh, conspiracy numbers so in order for a conspiracy to be true oh i love these yeah in order for a conspiracy to be true as few things as possible have to conspire together to make a reasonable case that a conspiracy actually happened yeah so like 9 11 the conspiracy that you know the government planned it you would have to involve hundreds of people that would all have to be quiet for the rest of their lives in order for that conspiracy to happen so that's so that yeah. conspiracy number might be in the hundreds tens of thousands of right. people yeah this idea even works with a business idea or, or an investment. So like the way you just described it, like in order for their, that particular investment strategy to work, like, oh, I think the market has gone down too much. So I'm going to call bottom, pick the right stock, and then get out when it goes up before the market goes down again. Right. So there you have to say, so the, the first conspiracy number is you're somehow predicting a market bottom 
better than Warren Buffett and, and millions of other hedge fund managers and professionals in the business. Somehow you have to think that you have an edge over them. So that's conspiracy number one. Conspiracy number two is finding the right stock, which is always very difficult. Conspiracy number three is the psychology. Like you have to be able to handle if it goes down another 50%, but you're sure this is a good company. You sure it deserves to be higher. What are you going to do when you just load it up on it and it's down another 50% or more? So yeah. That's conspiracy number three. And conspiracy number four is knowing when to get out. And four is even too high for that. That conspiracy will not happen. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's the, very difficult. The odds are too, too slim. It, it just doesn't make sense. And people will go, well, I, I love debunking conspiracy theories. Cause I think that there's, it's, it's like the ultimate failure of critical thinking in so many different areas. And it just violates like every law of critical thinking. Like they'll go Occam's razor man, aliens did this and this, or like right. Occam's razor man. It was a controlled demolition. Occam's razor. These are chemtrails. And you're like, no, no, no. What's more likely that like these are UFOs that came from another planet that no one's actually seen with their their eye. There's no actual video footage of the same event and that or in like all these other crazy things like this, that, that this, they violate physics, this we haven't they haven't tried to make contact with us. They aren't interested in anything. They're trying to stealthily hide themselves from us. But are certain types of our technology can pick them up, but nobody can see it out the cockpit window, but they can see it on their FLIR display and people go, yeah, Occam's razor, man, it's a UFO. And it's like, no, Occam's razor, it's a computer glitch and it's happening. Right. And they'll go, oh yeah, well, explain me this. Those radar systems on the ground picked up the same thing as the radar system in the air. And it's like, you do know that they're networked, right? You always would network radar systems so that one person's not staring at a screen while flying a freaking F-16 and having to track ground, you know, of course they're networked. So a glitch will show up on other equipment. Like it's so obviously a plane and or a glitch and it's like, nope, it's a alien spacecraft that wants to explore Earth, but they can't do it from where they are. So they have to enter our atmosphere and fly lower than fighter jets to do it. Like, why would why would that be the case? Right. And and it's odd that a civilization that, you know, the universe is 13 billion years old, right? And yeah. and modern human civilization is basically, you know, since we started uh harvesting wheat is about 10,000 years ago. You, you could basically measure technological progress starting from just 10,000 years ago out of 13 billion. So the odds that another civilization is at roughly the same level we are right. technologically, except for the fact that they could somehow go millions of light years uh, very quickly. The, the odds of that are so tiny, you know, to, to your point, they would just, they could probably just observe us. Yeah you know, rather than having to send a physical ship that somehow resembles our planes. Right. And cause they're at that level of technology. Like it's just ridiculous. It is. It is. It's, and I'm not saying I, I want to be clear for all the people who are like, Oh yeah, aliens don't exist. You guys are just being arrogant. There could very well be other civilizations out there. The odds that they have to look ex remarkably like a weather balloon on a radar device though, to get here after, like you, like you said, they travel millions of light years to get here. And then it's like, but we got to fly around in the air, just like an airplane or like we got to fly around in the air, sort of just like an airplane. It's like if you can fly millions of light years, stay in the stratosphere or further above and use your 10 billion year more advanced telescopes and whatnot to like look at our planet from there. You don't have to come and fly around Nebraska and land well, in a cornfield. Well, let me, I'm going to play, I'm going to counter your argument though with one thing. I do think it's interesting to think like a conspiracy theorist mm -hmm. because, because it always helps 
particularly like we're dealing with so many different interpretations of what's going on in politics, the media, and so on, it always helps to ask, what is the agenda of the people spreading a certain message right now? Yeah. You know, is there something else that could be happening? So let me throw two situations by you, and you could tell me if I'm crazy thinking in a conspiracy way. Sure. And so these aren't conspiracies in the way that, oh, you know, uh, Barack Obama's in the Illuminati right. and blah, blah, blah. But Cuomo said, we're not going to have a presidential primary in New York State. But he said, we are going to have congressional primaries. And the reasons he gave for no presidential primary were A, coronavirus, uh, so people should stay home. You know, the fewer reasons to go out, the, the better. It's, it's healthier. We're trying to flatten the curve and on and on. And then the second reason is, come on, guys, we all know Biden is a, uh, a lock on the nomination and New York was just going to vote for him. There's no one else running. So we don't really need a presidential primary. So those were his two reasons. And I always think to myself, look, those are good reasons and there's no way to really argue with them. But whenever there's a, a really good reason, I always have to wonder what the real reason is. And so I started thinking, but, you know, I looked it all up. Biden has 1300 delegates. You still need 1900 delegates to win on the first vote of the uh, convention floor. Mm -hmm. So he's not necessary. He's, he's the only one with delegates really, because Bernie Sanders is way down and Bernie Sanders is going to commit all his delegates to Biden, but he still hasn't gotten enough delegates to uh, legally lock the nomination in. So my, my conspiracy theory here is that Cuomo being the New York governor kind of sets a president all the other governors go the same way or else they're not going to be as good as Cuomo at dealing with the coronavirus mm -hmm. and lockdowns and so on. They're being uh, unsafe for their population. And so you get to the convention or the nomination, uh, or, you know, whatever, wherever the Democratic convention is a few months from now, and suddenly it's potentially an open convention and there's no nominee, there's a there's a fight. And so, I'm, so my, my, the conspiracy theorist in me says, maybe that's slightly planned. So there was a good reason, which nobody could argue with and is fine. But then there's a slight real reason just in case, like maybe the, the machine is like, you know what, we might be a little bit nervous about Biden for all of the reasons that people already know about. And let's just give Cuomo a call and say, listen, can you do this for us? It's not a bad thing. Here's you, you, we all can brainstorm on what the good reasons are. But let's just leave the door open for a brokered convention. Yeah, I mean, that's possible. But think about the amount of pieces that have to go into play for something like that versus the amount of pieces that have to go into play for something like they're spraying chemicals in the air that are designed to control us. And also Bill Gates is going to inject nanobots in the coronavirus vaccine that you are used by right. 5G towers to control our mind. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. That has like 10,000 steps that are all complicated. And this is like a chess move. Right. Again, it's a, the, the number of conspiracy numbers is, is the, the conspiracy number is too high for that one. Right. Whereas this one, because he gave a good reason, the, he, there's no, he, there's no reason to even suspect him. There's nothing really outlandish in what he did. It's, it's, and, and then he can just, if, if the governors don't follow him, okay, that was just an attempt and it didn't work. We'll try other things. Mm -hmm. So there's not, there's not really a downside for him doing this if he buys into the the real strategy yeah i i kind of agree like look i don't know if that's accurate or not but that's that's one of those things where it's like and then they printed up fake receipts in the bank in the bank basement <laughs> and bernie madoff was using a hand run ibm machine to keep track of his ponzi scheme it's like whoa that's kind of an advanced crime look at how well he balanced all those pieces for a while he must have been really stressed out and there's like a few steps to that 
And you're just like right. really impressed that one guy could pull that off. So with with this Cuomo thing, like I'm not saying whether it's true or not. I don't know enough about politics and how they work, but it's not. That's like something where you go, if you had people calculating the probability or the likelihood that that was able to happen, it would be closer to like probably 70, 30 or 60, 40 or even 50, 50. What do I know? Versus like these one in a billion chance that like this right. actually like the 9-11 was an inside job. Nobody talked about it. It's controlled demolition and all these experts disagree about it. Like, right. Cause I think no. you're right. Because I think there are a difference between, um, I think a lot of things in life are, are let's call them mild conspiracies, right. where it doesn't really, uh, like, big deal. Many people might not even care that he's doing that. Or maybe, you know, and, and like you say, who knows? But it's just a, a possibility. It's just in his head, and maybe it, it is. As opposed to things like, you know, check out this video before it's banned right. type of conspiracy. Right. You know, where, where, where it, and you know, it's interesting. I was talking to uh, somebody who's written about this where there's a common theme among everybody who believes in extreme conspiracies, like the whole Bill Gates is going to inject nanobots and right. Fauci has been secretly funding it and, <laughs> and Wuhan is part of it all. And mm -hmm. somehow, like the idea that the three of them and throwing, always throwing George Soros, that they're all working together uh, is, is ludicrous. But uh, the, the common theme is that at some point, the system has let you down in a really horrible way. So you no longer really trust the institutions that you grew up believing were, you know, virtuous and impregnable. And, you know, it, it, the system let you down. And so now you think everything uh, is a conspiracy. And so an example might be, um, and I'm not saying it is, I always have to qualify, but an example might be, you know, RFK Jr. is a big anti-vax person. And, you know, I don't know if he believes that, but that's a lot of anti-vax people think that vaccines cause autism. But when you talk to him, you could see why he comes to this. Like he was a, a practically a baby when, he, the way he puts it, the FBI killed his uncle and then the FBI and other forces killed his dad. Mm -hmm. And so as a young child, he saw his uncle and his dad murdered and the institutions that we all believe in let him down in a severe way that killed his family. Right. And a lot of people, so now he go, it goes on and on like anti-vax and this and this and who knows. So, so that's the common theme among uh, all these people. Yeah. It's a lack of control. Like very rarely do you find wealthy, educated people or even educated people believing in a lot of the conspiracy stuff. Um, the only, I would say wealthy and or educated people that you see who purport to believe in the conspiracy stuff are these uh, shysters that are actually selling it. Like if you look at guys like David Icke who say like, there's no such thing as coronavirus, that guy's just a grifter who's printing money, making a living, tricking people, and probably, possibly a sociopath doesn't care about other people at all. Yeah, I agree. And, I, and as someone asked me about him the other day, I don't really know much about him. Like other than he said that at some point lizards rule yeah. the planet. Well, he, he's so, one of those people that says uh, certain types of people, and they just coincidentally many of them are Jewish. But I'm just going to float that out right. there. They're actually shape shifting lizards that control 
uh, all the government and important institutions. And he, he says things like, oh, I was sitting in a green room with some politician or somebody, you know, like some Trudeau type person. And he saw his eyes turn completely black like a reptile because he was, you know, zoning out or contacting the reptile mothership or whatever. And his eyes turned black. So this is the kind of crap that this guy spouts out there. Now he's realized that he's alienated a lot of people that aren't complete buffoons uh, with stuff like that. So now he's saying things like the coronavirus isn't real and like, all of these things are are made up by institutions and it's like dude verifiably false and i don't care normally about people like that i just go look if you're going to be a dumbass and trick other dumbasses then go ahead and have a dumbass party but if you start endangering other people by saying this whole thing's a hoax there is no disease so you're free to go out and be an idiot and spread it everywhere because it's just a bunch of lies made up by so and so and so and so then you're actually it's it's no longer just like um, just my freedom of speech opinion. It's like, no, you're actually trying to get people to hurt themselves and others by doing stupid things and not listening to proper medical advice. You're just as bad as, as any kind of doctor who says, hey, you, you have to go out there and do this and it's a bunch of BS or here's a natural cure for something. You know, right. we don't allow those people to do that. It's called fraud. So we shouldn't, we, sh you, you, we have to be careful. Now, I don't think he should be banned from YouTube. I think people should be very free to look at him and go, wow, this is a total POS. This is a but, bad but person. But people, but people, he, he'll, and I agree with you. I think censorship's a, a tricky issue. I yeah. don't think it should be banned either. I just watched a podcast earlier today, which had a good idea. It suggests maybe YouTube, instead of banning it, should just put a rating on yeah. it. But maybe that'll make it just more attractive to people. I don't know. It might. So, I mean, you just say, look, this is verifiably fake bullcrap and they're using it to trick you and make money. And they should demonetize that stuff because monetization of blatantly fake news is designed to be salacious or sensational and trick the algorithm into playing that. But that's against YouTube's interests because they want to make the ad revenue from these viral uh, stupidity yeah. videos. And, and so they are in a way complicit. Now you want to speak about conspiracy theories. YouTube is, is complicit in this because they want to make money from people. They don't really care. Like, I mean, they do, but they don't like the people who work there may care, but the company, the shareholder, the bottom line certainly doesn't care if they're getting multiple millions of views each day by people watching stuff. And they're like, it's a pandemic, man. It's all a hoax. You know, like though they're making money off of that and lots of it. So they want to incentivize that. And the problem is that people who don't necessarily know any better will watch that and go, oh my gosh. And it erodes faith in institutions and in medicine. And you end up with people not vaccinating their kids and going, oh crap, now my kid got measles because I believe some stupid shit. At one time, I didn't realize what a stir this would cause. One time I had a thread on my Facebook page about vaccines mm. and and specifically I was making fun of Jessica Alba because yeah. there was a, there was an article, you know, California state senators consult with Jessica Alba, Alba before a major vaccine bill. And by the way, I didn't even know where she stood on vaccines. I just thought that headline was funny. It's like, ridiculous. Like did the state senators wake up and suddenly say, oh my God, we have a vote today. Did anyone talk to Jessica Alba? Yeah, you know what this reminds me of? Have you ever seen that Dave Chappelle a bit? Of course you have. Yeah, yeah. He goes, where yeah, yeah. is Ja? I want to yeah. hear what Ja Rule has to say about all this. Right, right. Why Why do I care what Ja Rule has to say about 9-11? Yeah, unbelievable. Like, <laughs> unbelievable. So, yeah, no, that's, I probably had just seen that video when I, when I saw the Jessica Alba headline. But then all these people, like, there was thousands of comments on this Facebook thread. And I had friends even calling me like, 
James, what are you doing? Stop responding to people on that thread. You're get off back away from the computer. Yeah. And, uh, but it was, but I, I couldn't understand it. Like it was so insane, but people are really in, into this vaccine stuff. And that leads to other, you know, things. Cause again, it's, you're, you're, you're basically saying the government and the medical establishment have conspired against you in order to maximize profits at your expense. Yeah. They don't care. Like they don't understand that. Okay. There's a lot of drugs that are bad and that eventually get recalled from the market because they don't work. But a drug doesn't sell unless there's a cure, unless it's a cure for something, mm -hmm. supposedly. And, but and capitalism does work that way. If you suddenly realize some drug is is killing you, you you you're, you stop taking it, or the FDA recalls it, and there's all these regulations. So it's 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 really hard for suddenly everybody to get injected with a, a poison that's going to cause autism. Right, right, and and also the incentivization just isn't there, you know, oh, the big pharma is hiding a cure for cancer because they want to keep you on other drugs. Well, wait a minute that let's do the math on this and not really right now. Cause it's too much. It's way too much, but I'll give you the brief overview. So you're saying that all these researchers who could win Nobel prizes and make a ton of other money and have immortal legacies like Jonas Salk style legacies, by the way, Jonas Salk invented the polio vaccine and he will forever be positively remembered by all of humanity for doing so. Right. Yes. Um, you're saying that there's a scientist that works their whole life and goes, you know what? I'm going to cash out though for a couple million dollars in extra royalties, even though I'm already wealthy from investing this actually workable thing, or they're making a ton of money from something that actually does work. And they're like, no, let's keep that a secret. And then also hospitals are like, well, we want to keep people on all these medications because it keeps our occupancy full, even though we know damn well, there's tons of other people that go to need healthcare that actually need it. So the, you know, forget those people. And then also we want to damage our long-term economic probability and capability as a country by making people uh, emotionally or mentally injured from certain kinds of vaccines. So we want to damage those people and we want to financially burden their whole families because that, even though that's totally and obviously bad for society as a whole, we want to do that for a short-term win on uh, having to buy certain types of treatment and Medicaid. And it's just like, it does not add up at all and you right. see people that say that. And and I used to think people like that were just kind of foolish. And now I realize that desperation or um, a crisis of meaning in your life or lack of education and or uh, low socioeconomic standing and feeling powerless, those all coalesce. So you find people that aren't necessarily like foolish uh, that believe conspiracy theories because they're powerless. But the people that really peddle conspiracy theories, those are the people that are in on it and kind of know better. Like, I don't know if David Icke knows that he is d making up a bunch of crap and spouting it. I'm I'm sort of on the fence. I don't pay enough attention to him. To, and I, you can't diagnose someone at a distance anyway. My gut says he's probably just somebody who doesn't care about other people and therefore wants to be the center of attention. Right. And look, we get, we get emails from people like this all day long. He just happens to be the one who somehow or other stood out and is now monetizing. Oh yeah. It. Well, because he did a YouTube program with somebody that you and I probably both know and it got banned and, and then it who, became who was the program. With? It was London say? real. It was a uh, Brian Rose oh, yeah. and, and it got banned. And then they did another one and another one and another one because it was getting so many views. And honestly, it's kind of disappointing because I'm a free speech guy too, but also like, look, I don't, think Alex Jones is a good influence. You know, I right. don't think it should be banned, but I think you should, when you have a platform, choose a better way to influence people. Like, you know, if you look at, so it, it, anytime you have enough of a spotlight on you, like you, me, Brian Rose from London Real, Joe Rogan, you can't 
just, you shouldn't, in my opinion, I should say, just do whatever the hell you want because you never chose that level of responsibility. Like when I hear NBA players get in trouble and they're like, I never chose to be a role model. I'm like, yeah, you absolutely the freaking did. You absolutely did. If you just wanted to play basketball and make money, you could have done something less so. Um, you absolutely sign on to be a role model when you were in a, in a position of high visibility. Now, it doesn't mean you wanted that. Maybe you just wanted to get rich and play basketball and bang lots of women. Fine. But you still are in a position where you are a role model. And if you don't abide by that, you are a piece of garbage. Like, sorry, that's my opinion. Uh, if you want to call it free speech, it's like having a kid. You have a kid, you can't go, well, it was an accidental pregnancy, so I'm still going to be a piece of crap and do whatever the hell I want and set a terrible example. You're garbage if you do that. You are. You right. are a bad person who doesn't deserve to have that kind of influence. And so when I see people who have willfully built a business of influence online and then they use it to peddle absolute bull crap, it, it gets me a little fired up because I think you're misusing it. And I think you're doing it just for money and for attention, which are like two of the most base and stupid reasons to sacrifice your integrity, your dignity, and uh, mistreat your audience. Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I, I lived in over a hundred or 200 different Airbnbs over a three-year period. And I loved it. I love, I became a really good guest of Airbnbs and I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house, I, of course, the first thing I thought was I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests and having my own Airbnb or, or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away and I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three-story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty, who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Daylight savings time is starting up again. Okay, podcast is over. That's all you needed to know. But why do we have uh, daylight savings time? Answer, to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting your clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day that initial, when we initially start daylight savings. But if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. 
ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100-plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. This is such a brilliant idea for a business, and ZipRecruiter did it. So ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. I've used ZipRecruiter particularly as a potential employee, and I still to this day get messages every day. James Aldacher, would you like to apply to be VP of Entertainment at NBC or whatever? So there's just nonstop emails. Like I got five or six emails today because of because a year ago I signed up for ZipRecruiter. So spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Hey, listen, men's health is important. Men act all cocky and like they don't need anything. But the reality is, as you get older, there's some things you need. And it often feels like we're too busy to take care of our health problems. Like I'd rather do anything than go to the doctor or the dentist or the pharmacy or whatever. But now you don't have to waste your time if you use HIMS. HIMS, H-I-M-S, HIMS is changing men's healthcare by providing simple and convenient access to science-backed treatments for erectile dysfunction, hair loss, weight loss, and more. The entire process is 100% online, so you get a new routine of improving your overall health faster. Jay, you listening to all this? Yes, I'm definitely going to use HIMS for now. Not that you need it. You're, you're young and healthy. James, I'm 35. You, you're getting there. You might, you might need it. Who knows? But if prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and indiscreet packaging. No insurance is needed. You can manage your plan on the HIMSS app, track progress, and learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. Start your free online visit today at HIMSS.com slash James. Could you imagine that there's a whole section just with my name on it? HIMSS.com slash James. That's how I how much I am representative of the kind of person who needs HIMS. That's HIMS.com slash James for your personalized treatment options. HIMS.com slash James. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See HIMS.com slash James for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. You know, I think I was reading this in a book about creativity. It might've been a Stephen Pressfield book. One of the worst things you can make as a creative is to basically start letting your audience dictate your material. Oh, I agree with that, yeah. So I, I, I noticed something when I made a post once that was favorable, mildly favorable to Andrew Yang. This was like six months ago. Mm-hmm. And suddenly there was this like flood of just love from the hashtag Yang Gang. Mm -hmm. Like I got like thousands of retweets and just everybody's like, yeah, you know, James Altucher is in the Yang Gang. And I wasn't really, I was just 
you know, I liked some parts of what he was saying. And, and then I wrote another article, like here are serious questions I would have for Andrew Yang. And they were legitimate, sincere questions. I wasn't saying anything good or bad. It was just questions. And suddenly I was trashed by the Yang gang. Wow. And, and you feel that cortisol versus the dopamine spike. And it's so easy to just succumb to like, oh, well, I better come up with more material to get the Yang gang to still like me. Cause then it just feels good getting those thousands of likes. But at the same time, the second you make that decision, you you lose your strength as a creative. Totally. And, and you lose your strength to have a, a, a continual voice where you're developing your opinions and your knowledge and, and so on. You've been, you've been captured by the audience. I agree with you. And look, this is one of the reasons why I actually like podcasting more than I like things like YouTube. Not only because production is so much easier with podcasting than it is with YouTube, but look at this. If you post something on your podcast, you might get a few emails from your audience. Like I might get somebody who goes, hey, this episode is really anti-China. You know, that's not good. And I'll get somebody else who says, you know, you're, you're, you weren't hard enough on that guest about China and intellectual property theft and this and that and the other thing. And other people might go, you know, this advice you gave on Feedback Friday where I give advice, you know, that, that was pretty bad. I disagree with it. But on YouTube, you get immediate and instant overwhelming reactions, usually negative, and the audience is, uh, is far less intelligent on YouTube uh, than it is in podcasting because you have all these rando people that, like, you popped up in their algorithm, you know, feed, yeah. and, and, like, they're 12 years old and they're just saying stupid crap on YouTube. Uh, you also have a lot of people who who are looking for rabbit holes to go into that are not very critically minded. So you end up with all this fee instant feedback, same with social media. And that's bad as a creator. It's bad for you because like you said, you get either instant dopamine or you get instant cortisol. And you don't want that as a creator in real time because now, and I see this all the time, I call it the Jerry Springer effect. You get these shows where they were like, hey, I want to interview, let's say, brain scientists and really smart people. And you do that and you've got this educated audience and they're pretty measured and they don't jump to conclusions one way or the other. And they write you the occasional piece of fan mail and they buy your products and services and it's fine. But then you have a controversial person on and you get all these all these Alex Jones rejects who can't watch InfoWars on YouTube anymore because it's been deplatformed and now they're watching your stuff. And you go, ooh, I got a lot of views on that one. Yeah, I'm trading my smart audience for dumb people, which, by the way, you're, that's a key point. You're trading your smart, educated, measured audience for these, like, mouth breathers who think that 5G causes coronavirus. And yeah. that's problematic because there may be more of them and they're louder, but then you go, well, wait a minute, my ratings, quote-unquote, my views are up. And this is exactly what happened. And you can then have a show that becomes... A, entirely a circus of be, a bull crap because it looks like that's making you more popular. And in a way it is, but with whom and who are those people and why are you popular? And now you have to act that way. You have to become the, uh, you're doing, you're, you're playing the role of some sort of like bad guy on wrestling, you know, and now you've got to keep doing that. And then it becomes your role forever because that's what's getting you paid. Now I see this a lot. I call it the Jerry Springer effect because what happens is you had Jerry Springer as a serious talk show host. He was a very smart guy. He had really intelligent conversations. And, and he was a former mayor of Cincinnati, I think. And then you had Oprah, you had Jenny Jones, you had Ricky Lake, you had Geraldo Rivera. They all tried to do like serious Phil Donahue level talk shows. Well, 
Geraldo Rivera, no surprise it was him, had like white supremacists on his show, but then he also had Black Panthers on his show or something like that just to stir up some ish. He ended up getting hit in the face with a chair during this ensuing brawl that was actually unplanned, apparently. And his ratings went through the roof. And that's when he was like, now we're going to have these people on. Now we're going to have these people on. And Jenny Jones, uh, Jerry Springer, and Ricky Lake, they couldn't compete. Nobody was watching their stuff because the people that were home during daytime TV were like, a lot of times like lower socioeconomic class, unemployed, or people that were really bored watching TV. So they started to watch the circus and their ratings went up. So now all of these other people went, I'm going to lose my show unless I can do a circus too. And that's when you saw them dress differently, have different types of guests on their show, try to outdo each other. I mean, for a while, Jerry Springer's security guy was actually really well known because he was choking people and throwing people around and it turned into a wrestling match every day. And that's problematic. But you know, people always go, yeah, well, those guys did really well. And look, they're so famous and they're so this and they're so that. And I go, who was the most famous and well-known daytime talk show TV host? What was her name again? Oprah Winfrey. How many people got hit in the face on an Oprah Winfrey show? Zero. It never right. happened. Well, you know, and that and that's the interesting thing. I do think ultimately, if if you're if you have any audience or platform at all, the best thing you can do is not necessarily be positive, but say things that contribute to the lives and well-being of others. Exactly. So that that, that doesn't mean lying and saying hey, don't worry about coronavirus. It's going to be all okay at the end. And it doesn't mean saying, hey, everybody, just be grateful for what you have. Like there's all this kind of coronavirus self-help, which is, hey, this is the time to be productive every day. And if you're not writing your book, then you you failed or you never really wanted to write a book to be with. I don't need another homework assignment on top of like raising my kids and and being scared out of my mind with coronavirus. It's the average person saying like, don't give homework assignments if you're trying to help people. But at the same time, don't, you know, get people, there's all these like fights on Twitter and I almost found myself getting sucked into them, like lockdown versus no lockdown. This is what should be done. But at the same time, people just need, right now people need to figure out how to make an extra few hundred dollars a month so they don't starve. Like that's, yeah. there's all tens of millions of people are unemployed and in trouble right now. Yeah, and and instead of saying, hey, here's here are ways to, like what I try to do to serve that audience is say, here's how you network, Here's how you create relationships. Here's how you're going to find opportunities. And I see other people going, here's the next five things you can buy. My secret newsletter that's $3,000 that you can pay for is going to have your secret stock picks from me. And I've beaten the market every year for 30 years because I have psychic telekinesis powers. And I'm just like, okay. And then you have other people that go, you know what? I don't know anything about how you're going to make money and survive and feed your family. But did you know that lizard people were actually causing all your problems and that this thing that you're afraid of that lost you your job, it's all a hoax by the alien space people and the George Soros guy, family, whatever foundation and Xi Jinping out of China and Barack Obama. And it's like, well, now you're just distracting them from an actual issue and they're seeking that out because they're desperate and they feel sad and and, uh, stressed out you're not serving that audience. You're just grifting. You're you're actually just yeah. a huckster who's serving yourself by trying to control people with fear. And the irony is this, uh, in many ways, a lot of the conspiracy theories that are out there, like, do you remember when they said AIDS was a hoax um, that was designed to kill black people? Do you remember that story from the 80s yeah, and 90s? Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, there, there was a lot, it was designed to kill a lot of people. Yeah. Like, it was you know, ga- either gay people right. or black people or whatever. Right, so that now is the, the KGB agents 
that made the, all that crap up, they defected to the United States and outlined the entire thing. And the KGB, so the KGB disinformation program is like 85% of, of, well, FSB, KGB resources back in, during the Cold War KGB. It was like 85% of their resources. For the United States, it's like less than 5%, pretty much disinformation and, and that kind of stuff. So that's primarily what the KGB does. So all these people that are like, yeah, America first, all this, 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 that, chemtrails, this, that, you know, all these things are a hoax, this, that. That's Russian a lot of the time, not every single one. A lot of that is KGB uh, or FSB disinformation and some of the most patriotic people in the United States are the ones that gobble that crap down and just swallow it whole. It's really ironic. Yeah. Well, I think it's the same thing as that feeling I got from the Yang gang. So imagine these Twitter bots that are either humans or robots from uh, the, you know, or AI from the KGB. If you put something that's kind of on their side, mm -hmm. they'll suddenly all like your tweet, you know, and by the way, they, they kind of play both sides or, or at least there's entities playing both sides. So if you take a strong stance on something that's a little bit controversial, you'll get a lot more likes than normal than even your audience numbers should uh, expect. A lot of it is these these bots or, you know, like, because sometimes I'll notice, like, that was weird. That got, that one tweet got a little bit more response than I thought it should. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll look at the people who liked it and it'll be people with zero followers. They're following three people, not me. And then you look at the people they're following who also have zero followers and are following three or four people. And it's just weird. And, and like you said, this is documented what these, these, you know, uh, you know, apparently the U S is getting more involved in this as well. So I don't know the extent to which it's happening all over the world, but it is something that happens. Yeah. I, I had a show with a guy named Clint Emerson who tracks this. So the internet research agency, which is in Russia, this is like, there's, they're running tens of thousands of of bots with, or real people on social media like Twitter. And you can find out who they are because if you talk with him or you post something that's like anti-Russian and tag uh, somebody who's antagonized the Russian government, you will get responses from them all the time. Yes. And they'll say things like, you're a Nazi because you mentioned Russians in a disfavorable light. And I know tons of Russian people here in the United States and in Russia, frankly, that listen to the Jordan Harbinger show. And they're always like, Oh yeah, that thing you said about Russia? Yeah, it's unfortunately true and we're working on this and this. Because I don't say like, oh, Russia is evil. We should wipe them off the map. I say things like, hey, the Russian government is doing this. And, the, and they'll go, yeah, I mean, that's for sure true. The United States does it to a lesser extent, um, but Russia definitely does this, 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 and this. But these Russian nationalist or fake people on Twitter that are posing as Americans, they have no compunction and they don't even care about like grammar errors and obvious fake things like, and look, they'll occasionally right. use Twitter from like a Russian IP because they their VPN broke for two minutes or they're logging on for their lunch hour at home, who knows? And you can see it happen and Clint Emerson tracks this and he discusses this in this, this episode of the show, but it's, it's not, they're not really trying to make this super, super stealth because they just don't care. They're talking with usually idiots on Twitter all day or people that are never going to do the work to research this. And you'll find that like, if you, if you want to test this tag Clint Emerson in a tweet and say, I'm so glad someone is doing something, uh, against evil Russian interference. And you'll get all these, I'm talking hundreds of people will reply to you and be like, you're a Nazi. You should, you're scum. Look at, you know, you're a terrible person. I hope your kid dies in a fire. Like they'll tell you all that stuff. 
And usually it's just not real people or it's real people, but they're certainly not the people in the photo. Like you can do image searches and you find the photo in like Google stock, you know, iStock photo and stuff. Why doesn't Twitter do something about that as opposed to, or let's say any social media platform, why don't they do something about that instead of uh, uh, these other censorship cases? You know what? One, it's hard to track. Um, I'm sure they could really dedicate some people to it and find algorithms and do it, but let, and they have because they've gotten congressional scrutiny after the election. But, you know, look, man, you and I own a company. It's a social media company. Our user base is dwindling and has been for 10 freaking years. And then we find out that 35% of our activity is bullcrap influence, active measures, dis- disinformation campaigns, or stupid conspiracy people or people yelling at each other about dumb crap. Are we going to block all that and then tell our shareholders, well, the good news is we got rid of all this garbage and fake influence and all this other stuff on Twitter. The bad news is our platform is not nearly as active as it was last week, um, and your shares are far less valuable. But we need, oh, also, we need a cash infusion. Who's got cash? Give us the money. They are really disincentivized to do anything about that, just like Facebook is disincentivized uh, from running ads from any political or any actor that they want to. And people will go, well, that sounds like a conspiracy theory too. It's really not. I mean, you, it's well documented that there are political ads and things like that on Facebook and that many of them were run by these fake news websites. Why would you turn down a customer if you're an advertiser? You know, like there are good reasons to do it. Like it's the right thing to do. And I think now they're going to be much more careful about it because Zuckerberg doesn't want to end up sitting on that weird pillow that he sat on in front of Congress for eight hours that one time. <laughs> But like, you don't really want to disincentivize that, right? It's like if people are buying your turkey bags to put marijuana in it and mail it, you don't go, well, we're not selling these to drug dealers. You're going, how do we make these more useful for drug dealers while still making sure they look and smell and feel like turkey bags? You know, that's a real example. You know, it's interesting because like even back in the 90s, Yahoo's main source of revenue were people doing like porn related searches. Sure. So, and then Yahoo was getting affiliate deals or selling banner ads for porn sites. Like that, it's just, there's always some, some bad money that gets in when some industry is new and, yeah. and bad resources and so on. And, uh, you know, but, and you're right, podcasts kind of, you know, not every podcast, but I would say the, the best podcast kind of, uh, uh, I don't want to say rise above it either, but, don't get involved because it's just too easy to, like if you were suddenly a big conspiracy theorist, you probably would either lose all your audience or get an audience that advertisers are not going to value. Totally. And it wouldn't really help you or, and it wouldn't really provide meaning in your life. Like you're doing this presumably because you like to interview people you respect and admire and and you like to get that message out to an, to an audience. Sure. You, you, you know, you've been a coach in the past. You've, you've, you give talks to, to help people. So you, you, it's always the case you have to kind of have meaning in your life if you want to have a platform and have influence. You have to have something to say. And it can't just be derivative of, you know, someone who talks about lizards. Yeah, no, it's it's so true. You, you do find that it, you lose meaning. And, you know, I'm an attorney, right? So I have taken oaths of of ethics and things like that for the New York State Bar that say that you're not going to do disingenuous stuff, uh, especially when it comes in to, to your client. Like you have a fiduciary duty to your client, and that's a term that you'll know as somebody who's in investing, which basically means I have to treat the client like I would treat somebody either in my own family or also do for myself, right? And so I think of my listeners as almost like fiduciaries, where 
I have to disclose that this is a sponsored post. I have to disclose that this is somebody who gave me money to recommend a product. That's why I do my ad breaks the way that I do. Uh, and you know, there's I follow all the FTC laws when it comes to that. But if you have, uh, if you're starting to f uh, to feel the Jerry Springer effect, where you're going, oh, I can build a bigger audience by just talking about bullcrap all day, then you find that, oh, I can't really have the same advertisers, right? I can't have a high-quality mattress company or PayPal or something like or that. Microsoft. That I believe in Microsoft. I can't have that because they're not interested in that. I can't advertise for NetSuite. So then you start going, oh, well, what do I do? Oh, I got this Get Rich Quick course that I make, and no one else is paying me to advertise that. Or you get in bed with grifters and other scammers because they don't really care where your audience comes from, man. They don't care. They're just trying to grift. They're trying to steal from your audience too, so what's the difference, right? So you have to be really careful because once you start sacrificing your integrity in one area, then all these other things start to fall away from you and you start to paint yourself into a corner where the only way you can make money is by doing stuff like that. Like you see these flat earth guys a lot of these flat earth guys, they kind of realize, I'm sure, that if they just looked at the evidence and they realized how wrong they were, they would lose their friends online, they wouldn't get their speaking gigs, they wouldn't get any of their, well, they're not getting book deals, but they wouldn't be able to sell their published, self-published books at their conferences, they wouldn't be signing autographs, nobody would care who they were, they'd just be another website designer or something there like that. There are flat earth guys signing autographs? <laughs> Dude, there's flat earth conventions and some of these flat earth guys who... I mean, I can't help but think they just, they know that it's BS and that they're just kind of enjoying the attention because they grew up and didn't get any attention. And this is like their entire sense of validation. Right. So they're like celebrities in this area. And I've, I, I thought about this a lot because I thought, where can you get a, where can you build a niche of people where you're like, almost like a cult-like figure that they will always buy whatever you do and you'll always have a job. And I thought about this for, for years and years and years and years and years. Um, and I was like, oh man, there's just kind of no answer to this. Like one is like white supremacy or any kind of supremacy, right? Some sort of racial theory. You can build an audience that way. That's obviously a horrible way to do it. It's worked in the past. It worked for entire countries in the past. You build some sort of weird racial identity. You, you believe in conspiracy theories and you spearhead something like that. That's patently false that other people are going to believe in and see you as the only speaker of truth in that area. And we see that going on a lot right now. Um, or you teach people how to solve certain problems in their life, whether that's like meet and attract women or uh, make tons of money in a very easy way that's not necessarily legitimate or realistic at all. Uh, and you sell some stuff like that. But the problem with the money thing or, or anything that doesn't actually work, work, is eventually people figure you out and they leave you. But if you're just saying, hey, the earth is flat and I'm the only one who has the courage to tell you the truth, or uh, Sandy Hook was a hoax and it's all this, that, and the other thing by the deep state to take away our guns and blah, blah, blah. When you get that level, you can speak nonsense and lies forever and a contingent of people will believe you always. And those people can pay your bills. I just can't right. sleep at night doing that, so I don't do it. No, I, I agree. And the the, the challenge is... I consider myself a rationalist or or solutions oriented. So rather than figuring out, well, what what should I believe in? What do the Democrats believe in here? What do the Republicans believe? You know, rather than signing up for one menu where oddly all 60 million people on one side order off one menu and the other 60 million people order the items off the other menu, I'm kind of choosing from both menus and then some other things that are not even on the menu. And that the complications there uh, is you know, people like to join a team. And if you're not offering 
team membership, you're just saying, hey, listen to me because I have a different perspective on things. It actually is, uh, it is more challenging as a creative mm -hmm. and building up an audience, but I can't help it. I refuse to, to fall on the side of a team, no matter how seductive that dopamine hit is. Yeah, look, there's a reason that shows like Ben Shapiro podcast are the most popular podcasts in the world. And I don't know Ben Shapiro very well, and I don't listen to any political show. So I'm just using him as an example. So don't, you know, skewer me on this one, uh, folks out there. But the reason that that's so popular is because he, in, in part, in part, is because he will say things that a certain group of, of a certain political persuasion want to hear. He will say things in a way that they want to hear, and it's clever and memorable, and he will skewer people on the other side and make the people who listen feel like they're very smart or elite in some way, and or that they're the ones that get it and everybody else is. And again, I'm not totally talking about Ben here, but I'm just using it as, as an example. Right. Like, there's a reason... What I've noticed that's kind of funny is like a lot of these ultra, ultra conservative people online, um, they'll say things like, oh yeah, you're upset, Snowflake. Are you triggered? And I'm like, no, I'm just disagreeing with you. Like there's a totally difference between getting triggered or being a snowflake and like disagreeing with someone's political opinion. But I noticed a lot of times those exact same people are the ones that are screeching when the video gets banned for censorship and they say it's discrimination. And I'm like, why are you getting upset? A private company made a decision that impacts you negatively. If they did that to somebody you didn't like, you'd be clapping, you'd be standing on your roof of your car, jumping up and down. Right. What are you doing? You know, what are you doing? And so when you choose a team like that, bear in mind that you're you're picking that team so that you can make money off of that team, right? Like, unless you're running for office or something like that. Like, I get it, but I won't pick a political team. I'm not that interested in doing that because I think it is a disservice uh, uh, to the audience. Also, you alienate the other half. Now, that said, you can build a massive, massive audience doing that, but you only can exist in those political realms or what you know might you might say is like the Omega realm of like conspiracy theory. Like you're you're so out there, you're not a political party. You're just like, what kind of wild bullcrap can I make up today that I'm gonna get my audience to believe in? Like there's a reason that Alex Jones has to sell fake vitamins that do, supposedly do something for male vitality. It can't get advertisers. There aren't regular advertisers that will put his their name on that stuff because he's getting sued by families of dead children for lying, you know? <laughs> like, it's crazy. You have to go all in. You can't dip your foot in those waters very easily. You know, Joe Rogan does it sometimes where he'll entertain a guest that has a, a kind of a BS theory on there, flat earth or whatever, and he'll debate with them and talk with them. But you can't really just have an open conversation with the majority of these types of people because the audience that wants to listen to that only wants to hear about that stuff. And that's where I see the Jerry Springer effect taking root, especially on YouTube shows, because they're getting instant feedback about that. They see their revenue go up. They crowdfund you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I'm just going, you're not a credible source anymore. Like You don't want to be. And that's a business right. decision that you've made. Right. I, I, think, I think there's so much temptation to capitulate every step of the way. And then, and then you see people capitulate and you say, okay, there's another one who, who just fell off. It was legit for a long time, but then now gone. And now, um, you know, but I think, I think Joe Rogan's interesting because I think, I think comedians in general are interesting because they have, they're, they're trained to always have alternative ways at looking at things. Yep. So Joe Rogan can have an Alex Jones on and 
it gives him material. He can laugh about it later. It's kind of funny listening to Joe Rogan talk to Alex Jones because it's a comedy podcast. You're not really sure whether to take it seriously or not anyway. He could always say, look, I'm a, I was just making a joke when I said that. So he's he's not an intellectual like, let's say, a, a Ben Shapiro or you know other... Inte- I, th- I think intellectuals had their rise from like 2016 to 2019 or 2017 to 2019. And now I think that's over. Like, And what I'm seeing is actually the more comedy related podcasts are shooting up because they can actually say intelligent things on both sides. They don't have to get crazy. They could be entertaining. They know how to be entertaining. They know how to look at things from an alternative view, which is, which is a, a, a very valuable skill that not many people have. And, you know, and oddly they're more balanced. Like Joe Rogan has Alex Jones on. And at the same time, he comes out and supports Bernie Sanders. Like you never know where these guys are. The good thing is, is he's he's not on a team. He, he can he can be who he is. Yeah, and and I agree to some extent. I think that the problem is people go, oh well, intellectuals uh, or, or or whatever is not cool anymore. So instead of going, I'm going to build a niche where I'm interested in discussing these topics. They go, what niche can I make where I can make the most money? And then they have on somebody like, and I'll name drop because I just don't like him. I think he's a total, you know, I think he's a terrible influence on everybody that even gets near him. So, and that's what, what, what's his, what's his main message? Cause I actually don't know. A, a lot of what it is, is you can get rich doing X, Y, Z sort of whatever, sort of the latest thing he can sort of convince you to buy is. And he's got these events where people will be like, get rich speaking, get rich investing in this, get rich investing in that. I mean, it's, it's nonsense. Um, and it's a lot of like 18 year olds that don't want to get real jobs who follow guys like that. It's, it's very rarely like anything sort of solid and, you know, and even in areas where some of what he says makes sense, the substance of the message is so gross, like the, and the delivery is so gross and he's such a dislikable character that I can't get behind it at all. Um, so you, you, you have guys like that and you know, those are guys that just don't actually care what they're selling you. Like they just don't care. And you have to be able to make that decision. Like if on your show or on my show, I know we're pretty, we screen our guests pretty well, but even a guy like Joe Rogan, he's not going to have on the podcast because he's like, this guy doesn't offer anything. Right. Right. He doesn't offer anything. He's just trying to sell his crap to make money. Joe will have a conversation with a guy like Alex Jones and he'll go, I'm putting this wild character on here because it's an entertainment uh, show and people can make their own decisions and that makes sense and he's going to challenge him on certain things he's not going to have somebody on who's just going to talk about get rich doing this get rich doing that in in some sort of nonsense way that requires you to buy their course right it's just not what he's going to do he's not going to shill for that um so yeah. you even in guys like that where it's like he could have anyone on yeah but he doesn't have anyone on you're not going to have those guys that say like i've got five new coins that you're going to make all this money on sign up for my $3,000 newsletter. Those guys are not going to make it on there. And occasionally when he does have a guy on there who is full of crap, his audience will shred that episode of the show and that guy will never come back. Is there, is there an example? Yeah, there was a guy on there a while ago named Dan Pena. He's supposedly like an oil billionaire or something like that. But like, you kind of can't really find it. And he does like these self-help seminars where basically what he does is yell at you for just, just gotta do it. Like there's no substance to the advice mostly. Huh. Um, and he had him on there and you could just see even the comments on YouTube. Cause I can't see, you know, everything on, on the social media was just like, you could, it, all the comments were like, you could just tell Joe hates this guy and like, Oh, my BS detector's going off. What's this guy doing on the show? Tuned it out. Wasn't popular. 
Um, you know, and then like you talk to people behind the scenes and they're like, yeah, we're never having that guy on again. Like that was one of those like slip through the cracks types of guests. So have you ever, uh, have, have you ever approached Joe about going on the show? Uh, not really. I mean, look, would I turn it down? Not at all. Of course. I think it would be great. But when I look at like, what would I talk about on Joe Rogan? I don't know. Am I a fit for that show? I'm not really sure. You know, I don't know. It's the thing. Like, I feel like when my book, Choose Yourself came out, I was going on a lot of shows because I was talking about the book. And also at that time in 2013, my story was I had failed and gone broke and bankrupt all these times. And there was a methodology I used to sort of bouncing back. And people were, it was still close enough to the financial crisis. People resonated with that story. And, you know, over time, the story changes and so on. But you're, you're right. Like, I don't even know, you know, I've switched careers so many times that, I guess I could talk about that. Like, how do you succeed in a new career when you've just switched interests and passions and so on? I, I feel like I have stuff to talk about, but there's no event around it. Like I don't have, I have my next book's coming out in a year. It's, you know, it's, it's harder when you don't have an event to talk about. Yeah, I agree. I mean, look, when I, when I think of what I go on Joe Rogan, yeah, it would get me a lot more listeners for the Jordan Harbinger show, but I have to think about what's in it for him and his audience. And it's like, if he has something where he's like, oh, I want to talk to this Jordan guy about this, this, and this, great. I would I would definitely do it. I have a lot of respect for Joe Rogan and like I would love to go on that program. But if I realistically think, what do I bring to the table? It's like, well, okay, what do I bring to the table that's not just self-serving? That's an entirely different question. And I think there are some things, but I'm not sure that's what he's looking for. So I, I, I'm very cautious of like, would I you know, what would I do? I, I, I like to, I screen my guests for the Jordan Harbinger show very, very, very carefully, you know, and, and you know that. And like, yes. it becomes problematic because again, it's really, it would have been so much easier for me to pick a quote unquote team or niche and go deep, deep, deep into that. Uh, and I've seen that work and make people fabulously wealthy, but you have to sacrifice some element of nuance. You you have to be the guy who's super conservative and insults everybody else who doesn't agree with you. Or you have to be super progressive and insert insult everybody yeah. that doesn't get along with you. Or you have to be conspiracy theory-minded and say things that you just really don't believe, but you know other people will buy from you. Or you have to be selling Get Rich, which is what a lot of these other shows are doing. Oh, my business guru is this person. And it's like, gee, I just can't and won't do it. Um, and if I can make a great living not doing it and it's a little harder than, oh, well, you know, like that, that I would love to do that. And that's what I'm doing right now is, is doing something where I could probably speaking of these guys, I could 10 X my income by lying and being a piece of crap, but I'm just not going to do it. And there's a part of me that's like, man, it must be a lot easier if you have no scruples and you just don't care about other people. Cause you can make so much money, but then what do you have? You know, and now that I'm a new father, I'm like, ooh, I'm really glad I don't have a show that I have to hide from my kid. I know people that make money doing shady stuff and they either don't discuss their business with their kids or the part that they share with their kids is they're like, look, daddy's donating a lot of money to a charity. And it's like, why do, why do you only talk about charities? Oh, you make all right. your money uh, doing weird forced continuity programs where people can't cancel it and you've ru you're ruining 18-year-olds' lives by selling some sort of drop ship, learn to drop ship on Amazon seminar that you hold at your house that you rent in the Hollywood Hills to look <laughs> fancy. So yeah, you have to donate money to charity because literally everything else you do is despicable and you should be in prison. You know, it's funny because, you know, like you, you restarted the Jordan Harbinger show. You had the older podcast. Now you have the Jordan Harbinger show. You did a really good job of like building it up. And I think there, there is value to having an authentic voice. Like 
it's better to have, you know, it's Kevin Kelly's point. It's better to have a thousand true fans than to have a million like idiot fans. Mm -hmm. And it's even better from a monetary point of view because your ad rates are higher and whatever, you get opportunities to speak. Yeah. Like this is, this is always the point I try to tell people. A podcast by itself, very hard to make money. You kind of have to have uh, different spokes out of it. Like maybe you take transcripts and you make a book out of it. If, if you're not a natural writer, you, you, you know, you have all this content, you could turn it into a book or you could do speaking engagements like you do. You could do consulting, like you do some consulting, yeah. you could, you could do coaching. There, there's, you always have to think of like 10 different ways to monetize any one thing. You're focusing on the podcast, but there's just selling ads is, is, is not a good way to monetize. You have to have a whole universe of around you to monetize, mm -hmm. but you'll get that from quality listeners. Yeah, you will. You will. And and again, I look that thousand true fans thing that you said, I think is great because I know a ton of people like social media influencers or YouTubers that have huge audiences. And there are some friends of mine that have millions of subscribers, plays, views, whatever on all their platforms. And I'm like, man, you guys must be just killing it. And they're like, yeah, we make 13 grand a month. And I'm like, how is wait, what? How is that possible? And it's because the ads, especially on YouTube, they just don't pay the bills. Like you do have to do a course or something like that. And the problem arises when, if you have a, an audience like mine on the Jordan Harbinger show, I can say, I'm doing a course on how to network and create relationships. And here's why that's important. And people go, great, I'm going to do it. Now that course is free, but you know, I can have like more advanced things or, you know, courses on other subjects that are intelligent and equally smart, like negotiation or whatever. But if you do something where you're talking about how uh, coronavirus is a hoax or 5G's causing cancer or all these other sort of disprovable bullcrap things. Now you have to sell something to that audience, which is markedly less intelligent and markedly less educated and affluent. So what do you do? You don't say, I'm going to teach you how to get ahead in your career. What career are you talking about for most of these people? You have to say the secret trick to never having to go to an office again and working 15 minutes a day and making $10,000 a week. You have to do stuff like that because that's the audience you built. Now you have completely sold out. And I know a lot of these, these guys behind the scenes and a lot of them are, are nice enough folks when you're around them, but I know there's a part of them, a big part of them. They, they hate their customers. They hate them. They hate their audience. Well, and, and they hate their lives. Yeah, like they do. I, I once, um, so, so, when I was living from Airbnb to Airbnb, the New York Times did this profile. Like, here's this guy who's only living in Airbnbs. He doesn't rent, he doesn't own. So I was doing this for years. New York Times did this profile. And then um, Spielberg's company called and wanted to do a TV show based roughly on this. So they wanted me to pitch ideas. And one of the ideas I pitched was uh, this idea, I called it Gurus Gone Wild. And it was basically all the self-help gurus and every episode, you'd see, it'd be like behind the scenes. You'd see here they are giving a whole conference where they're jumping up and down and everybody getting all revved yeah. up and, you know, law of attraction and this and that. But then you meet them at the cafe and it's like, oh man, my girlfriend, I think she's cheating yeah. on me. <laughs> like, and, and, and by the way, those are all, I would do everything based on totally true stories. Like, it's not hard. Like, like, yeah, it's not hard. It's all of them. And, uh, and I've seen it all. Like I've seen the unbelievable. And it's just crazy what people, uh, what, what the, how different the behind the scenes is from the reality. And I always try to make my behind the scenes as close as possible to my in front of the scenes. And, you know, most people don't. So I, I thought it was a very good show idea, but they, they just wanted to do something on a guy who's 
living from Airbnb uh, to Airbnb. Yeah. I can see that. And, uh, look, man, a lot of these, a lot of these folks, when you look at the inside of their business or you look at the inside of their life, there's a lot of people who have like sad, broken past, or they had so much FOMO about what other people were doing that they sacrificed their integrity to make money instead. And I know a lot of wealthy people that have done that and none of them are happy. And it's a direct result of having made that sacrifice. And I know, I, I mean, look, a lot of them go, how do I get into podcasting? We kind of want to pivot. We want to do this. And then, that, but then like a few months later, when I'm talking with them, I'm like, you're going to pivot from what to what? And they're like, we just can't, man. I got kids. Like this is making me 30 grand a month talking about the latest stock signals and stuff. And I'm like, you're not beating the stock. You don't buy stock. You have mutual funds. What are you talking about? This three secret stock signals. They're like, I hired a writer to create that for me. You know, like, and I'm just like, dude, but they're, they're stuck. They have golden handcuffs. They have a boat payment and a house payment and tuition for their kids' private school. What are they going to do? Pivot to an honest business suddenly and take all that risk. It's easier to build an honest business beforehand, but they didn't do that. So now they're stuck. Yeah. And look, podcasting's podcasting's difficult. Like, uh, you know, there's 900,000 podcasts out there. I'm assuming after this lockdown is over, there's going to be a huge flush. People who didn't, who weren't able to keep up, who weren't consistent with this, who didn't provide value during this quarantine period. Uh, so I think there's going to be probably a resurgence in, I mean, there's already a resurgence in podcasting because there's fewer in this quarantine, but I, I'm, I'm, they say the podcast audience is down 20% because less people are commuting. I haven't noticed that. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure you haven't noticed no. that, but you've done such a good job again, building up. And we spoke about this last time, but what were the critical things that helped you kind of catch up to your old podcast so quickly? Like you really skipped the line, as I would say, in terms of uh, getting to the top once again in podcasting. Yeah. So I went on a lot of other shows. Of course, that always helps, but you know, that was the result of having relationships that I'd created over 10 plus years to be yeah. able to call and say, hey, I'm starting again from zero. Will you have me come back on? And there were a couple of people that were like, no, you're not a big name anymore right now because your other show is gone and you're starting over. I don't want to have you on my show. And, and so I sort of put those people on this list where I was like, fair weather friend only. Um, there were only yeah. a couple actually, and they were all like these influencer type people, which is no surprise. Um, they're very transactional a lot of the time, but everybody else- it, it always, by the way, it always disturbs me once I realize- someone's transactional. Yeah. Because I've had all of them on my podcast yeah. at different points. And and I'm not accusing anyone of anything, but uh, every now and then I realize, huh, uh, the only time they even respond to my emails is when we're in that four-month window of when their next book right. is coming out. Mm -hmm. And then saying like, yo, Jay, hey, well, uh, how about I come on my, your podcast and talk about the next book? And then suddenly they're returning every email. Right. And and doing everything, and then I'll and then they'll say, "Hey, you should come on my podcast too." And then I never hear from them again. Yep. <laughs> like until the next book comes totally. out, totally. And it's it discourages me. Like some, you know, I'm just easily. I think I'm easily fooled, and uh, I kind of assume the the best at everyone. Well, I mean, that's fine though, because you you to see if someone's transactional, you do have to sort of test it, but. It, it's also not a great way to live. I mean, those people have, li they limit their own success because it tends to be like a narcissistic personality trait that's very selfish. So it does limit your, your progress. You have to work twice as hard to get ahead because people start to go, oh, this guy's kind of a piece of crap. He only want, he's only thinking about himself. I don't really want to deal with that. And you also see their personal relationships fall apart all the time. Like they, they get, yeah. they, they always have issues with personal relationships because 
go figure, you can't really have a lo- nice, tight-knit, loving family when you're a selfish a-hole. Like, it's, it's kind of hard. So I don't worry about it too much. I just, I live by the whole uh, ABG, so always be giving. Instead of ABC, always be closing. It's like ABC, always be giving or always be generous. And I get burned sometimes, but it doesn't matter. The stakes are low. Like, oh, I had that guy on my podcast, and now he, he won't have me on his. Who cares? Move on. You know, yeah. d- you might not want to ha- deal with them again, but you don't have to sit there and cry about it or anything like that. Like, it just doesn't matter. And if one in a hundred people are like that, good. The other 99 worked out for you. So like, what are you complaining about? If 99 out of a hundred investments worked out for you, you'd be a billionaire. So, you know. Right. That's what it's. That's right. It's not one in a hundred though. It's more like 50, 50. If I'm being optimistic. Really? Are you, I don't deal with that many transactional people, I guess. I, I find it to be like, maybe even one in 10 generously. And I think it's less than that or like, oh, I'm only going to help you with this. But also, you know, I guess some of it is I don't really deal with a lot of like business people on the show. Like the pe- the business people I have on the show are like Kevin Systrom who founded Instagram or Reed Hoffman. Like those are guys that are like, I don't need this podcast, but they come on because of a yeah. relationship. I don't have on. Right, those are, those are the best guests yeah. when they're, when they don't, when you're when they're on because of a relationship and they don't really need to and uh and, and so on. But you know, sometimes a book comes out, I like the book, I'm curious about it, I'll ask the author on, and then they disappear later. And yeah. like you said, you can't do anything about it. You can't take it you can't take it too seriously. But you know, occasionally things bother me. Yeah. I'd be I'd be dishonest to say that they didn't bother I, me. I have a couple of people that especially when I really needed the help when I was building the Jordan Harbinger show that said no. Those people are on my permanent shite list, if you will. Um, but there's only like a couple of them, and I, they're just so selfish that I shouldn't have been surprised, frankly. But I like the I like the ABG model, the always be yeah. giving, and I think again that worked as a, a. I hate to be strategic about it, but I, that worked as a strategy during this lockdown, which is I just tripled down on content that I was creating because I knew it was I was presenting a perspective that was useful and different and helping people and providing some sort of voice of calm. And so I was maybe a little too busy during this period, but I think that philosophy in general will guide business strategy, content strategy, personal strategy, and so on. Uh, Yeah, I think that's wise. I think it's, you have to, if you're meeting, if you're running into that many uh, transactional people, I'm trying to think like what causes that because you'll want to fix that. Like when I teach... Or maybe I just noticed them more. Maybe I just noticed I the transaction people more. I think that might be it. Like, it might seem like more people are quid pro quo than than really are. Because um, I'm trying to think why I run into that seemingly so rarely. Uh, it's And it could be, you know what? You know what might be going on? Maybe it is more than one in 10. Maybe it's like three in 10. But I notice it a lot less because I'm focused on ABG. And maybe it's less than 50-50 but not one in 10, but you notice it more. So for you, it seems like 50-50. For me, it seems like 90-10, but really it's like seven out of 10. I yeah, maybe. Well, maybe I have a little more of, um, you know, what it is, uh, you know, there's that saying, uh, compare equals despair. Yeah. Maybe I compare myself too much to like, oh, this person's podcast has has more viewers, so I want to be on it. He was just, or she was just on mine, yeah. uh, and blah, blah, blah. And, uh you know, then it's, you, you know, probably it's foundational to me that I'm, I notice it more. Yeah, there, there's, I definitely do a lot of comparison that's unhealthy, but that's probably another show for another time, right? Yeah, well, well, 
And again, Jordan, once again, always, always great talking Same. to you and, and so much value. And we talked about conspiracies and grifters, uh, grifters niches, and, marketing and niches, uh, building a team and the benefits of having a, a conspiracy view, but just not being insane. Like there's, yeah. a, there's a, a difference and the ABG is a, a important, important quality, which I think does guide business strategy. You, you'll get rich basically doing ABG. Yeah. That's that if I was going to do a get rich quick conference, that would be, that would be the focus. Cause it works. It, does work. it honestly uh, works really well. But once again, Jordan, thanks so much. Let's always, as usual, make this a, a regular thing. I'm down. Let's do it. Excellent. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.